How many people love the Lord in here? Amen. I think it's important to consider when we talk about loving the Lord, I think sometimes we can just think that that's natural. It is not natural for you to love the Lord. The fact that you love the Lord is really a result of him loving you first and and spurring that love in your heart and your your affections for the Lord. And I'm grateful that we get to corporately come together. You could have stayed at home and loved him by yourself in the bed, bedside Baptist church, (laughs) overseer sheets. But it's good that that we got to get together and and come uh, corporately together to worship the Lord. Well, listen, I'm going to cut out the small talk at the beginning of the message and jump right in. Uh, I usually say I'm eager to preach the word, and I genuinely mean that, but today I'm really eager to preach the word. So if you can grab your Bibles and meet me in Luke chapter 21, that's where we're going to spend our time today. Um, As you're turning there, let me just quickly re-announce what was already announced, and that is uh, our Bible study, our fourth Wednesday night, not just Bible study, our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. We typically start our, uh, our Wednesday night off by, our Wednesday evening off by being on our knees at 7 o'clock. So I don't know what posture you normally come and pray in, and um, I'm not against any other posture, but we want to come in here and really get on our knees and get humble before the Lord. You can come and sit up if you want, or walk around, or whatever you decide, decide to do. Bring some, some coffee or some tea in, and just walk around and pray to the Lord. But we'll spend a half an hour I just devoted to, to focus corporate prayer. And one of the things I, I, I've learned about prayer, especially if you look at that Joel chapter 1 verse 14 passage that we went over during the solemn assembly, you know, it said cry out to the Lord. You know, that's not a, a mumble. That's not a whisper. That is us audibly getting together and crying out to the Lord and, and making our supplications and our petitions made known to the Lord. And so uh, I want to encourage you guys to be here. Y'all know me at 7 o'clock on the dot, not 701, not 702. We are going to be on our knees at 7 o'clock praying, and we'll do that for half an hour. There'll be a time of worship. Uh, and then after that time of worship, there will be uh, a time of us getting in the Bible And one of the things we committed to was consecutively going through all of the Bible during our Bible studies. Uh, And this week, I really want to answer the question, why does does doctrine and theology matter? You know, sometimes I, 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 you know, you can go to a church that, you know, is more uh, just topical or opinion, uh, but we are a church that values the Word of God. And we are a church that are serious about the Word of God, which is why we'll never come in here and not open the Word on a Sunday uh, or a Bible study. So I, I really want to talk about how the Word um, really challenges us and, and sanctifies us and helps us to, uh, to grow. So please be here. It's an intimate setting. It'll be time of conversation and discussion and all of that. So please, uh, if you can get here, please be here. Speaking of the Word, why don't you meet me in Luke 21 is where we'll be. Luke 21. If you're there, if you could just say amen. amen. Before I read the passage, let me just um, just be real honest in here. Uh, my goal and hope this morning or this afternoon is to get into your business a little bit. Uh, not only get into your business, but possibly offend you a little bit. Now, it's not going to be my intention. I think it's not me. It's the word I pray that offends us. But my ultimate goal is for you to walk out of here and love Jesus more because of it. Uh, sanctification is never just a bunch of amen. Sometimes sanctification is, ouch, that hurt. Uh, I, I need to change. I need to cha- be challenged. I need to think differently. And the scriptures are going to really get at us this morning in that way. All right, Luke 21, why don't you pick me up in verse number one. Four verses. Verse one says this. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. 
And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, please underline this next phrase, put in all she had to live on. I want to preach this morning or this afternoon from the topic entitled Gospel Generosity. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we come before you uh, like we do every morning uh, or every time we get together to get into your word uh, because we, we want to have a deep reliance on you. We, we do not want to open your word uh, and think that we can just understand it. I think sometimes we can treat the word very academically, which it should challenge our thinking. But, uh, Lord, there's, there, there's a spiritual aspect to how the word is communicated and preached. And I pray that you would move on all of our hearts. I comically said that my, my goal is to, to get into... Uh, those that are here, their business, and possibly offend them uh, because I was offended by the word. It challenged me this week. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to walk out of here and genuinely look at this text and, and look at our lives and look at how uh, we do with our own finances and pray that you would challenge us in a good way. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. Gospel generosity. Uh, years ago, I pinched a nerve in my, in my hip. I don't know if you've ever had a pinched nerve. It, like, I thought my hip was shattered. Like, I was walking like my hip exploded. And so I, I went to the doctor. I didn't know what was wrong. I, I honestly thought I had a fractured hip. Get to the doctor, and the doctor does something that you're probably familiar with. He started to, to poke and probe and press into areas because he was trying to find the spot that, uh, that was injured. And as he was poking and, and, and pressing, uh, he finally found that spot. And I made the girliest noise when he hit it, you know, because it, it was painful. And he diagnosed me with having a pinched nerve. But there's two things that happened when I went to the doctor and he was pressing. Anybody ever had that before where the doctor just kind of press on areas and figure out what's happening? There's two things that happen when the doctor does that. Either he's pressing in an insensitive way and he's hitting an area that's actually healed, but he presses it so hard that it hurts, or there is something wrong with me. There is something wrong. And so in our text today, that is what we're going to see. When a pastor or a preacher preaches on finances, it's not supposed to hurt. And so a pastor, if he's pressing, one or two things is happening. Either He's pressing too hard, which I have to honestly say, we don't press too hard here. I haven't preached on finances in a long time. Uh, and so we don't press too hard. Uh, or if you walk out and say, I'm offended by him preaching on my finances. Who does he think he is in my personal finances, my business? If that's your disposition, there possibly could be something. The Lord might be diagnosing something in your heart. But the good thing is we have a great physician today that is going to speak directly to us from his word. The Bible has a lot to say about finances. It just, it just does. I mean, when you consider Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we would call the synoptic gospels, if you add up all of the verses and all of the times that the Bible and the gospels speak about finances, one out of every six verses talks about finances. In fact, if you look at the 29 parables that Jesus told, 16 of the 29 parables deal with finances. And so because the Bible is so repetitive in communicating our finances, it's important for the church to speak on it. It is abnormal for us to come together and never talk about our resources. It's almost like, like, you know, Pastor, you can talk about isolation if you want to. You can get at me about other sins if you want to, but do not get in my business when it comes 
to finances. Well, good thing is I'm not going to get in your business. Luke is going to get in your business today. But let me lay my cards on the table. I'm, I'm just going to be as honest with you as possible. I am not after your money. That's not my goal. Like, I have no secret agenda hidden within the sermon to get you to give more. You know, once a month, at the first week of the month, I usually look at our finances and look at the giving and look at the giving reports and look at our budget and see where we are. Uh, And that's being a good steward over the resources, so I have to do that. I'm not going to be looking at the resources this week because I preached a message on finances. It's just not my goal. I'm not calling a $1,000 line. I'm not asking you to line up and everybody give it. I don't know if you've ever been to that type of service where it's like $1,000 over here, 1000 you know. I'm not doing it. That's not my heart. You know, I'm not asking you to run up here and throw money at the altar. That's not the, my heart today. In fact, this text has less to do with money and more to do with the posture of your heart. If it had to do with you giving more, Jesus would have applauded the rich givers. It has nothing to do with financial giving, but has more to do with your priorities, has more to do with your heart. And so if you walk out of here and just simply hear me talk about money, you've missed the whole sermon. If you only hear money, you miss the point of the passage. The point of the passage is about our heart. But I do want to be honest with you. Finances are important. Like, these lights don't just stay on. Like, we have to pay for the lights to stay on. And here's what I love about the Lord. The Lord, whenever he provides for you, but whenever he provides for the church as well, he always does so through the means of his people. Like, these lights don't stay on because God dropped a stack in the bank. He just doesn't do it like that. When God provides, he provides by the people that are sitting in the seat. And so let me just Get a little bit more personal. Epiphany Church is able to operate and Epiphany Church is able to stay open. We're able to pay the bills we need to pay and we're able to reach the community that we're called to reach because of your resources. And many churches are hindered in doing vision and doing ministry and doing mission because the people won't give. But you know what I love? Us giving towards the church and the church being able to operate under the provision of your means is really looking more like Jesus because here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus had a three-year ministry, right? He he died at 33, but he he had a ministry for three years, the most impactful ministry that legitimately rocked the world. But you know what was dope about Jesus' ministry? The power behind Jesus' ministry, of course, because he was God in the flesh, but the power behind his ministry was that he decided to become vulnerable enough to live off the means of people. What do I mean by that? If you flip back, we're in Luke 21. You don't have to flip there. You can take notes if you want. But if you go back to Luke chapter 8, it says something so important. It shows us that there's a group of women that are all providing out of their means, not just for Jesus, but for Jesus and the 12 disciples, all of them eaten off of the means of some ladies. In fact, this is what it says. It says in verse number two, actually verse number one, Luke 8. Soon after, he went through the cities and the villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. Let me say that again. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, uh, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and, and many others. Listen to this. Who provided for them out of their means. Jesus Christ 
the one who is provision, who could, like Jesus could have blinked his eyes, had steak and a Starbucks latte next to him. He decided to live off the means of women that he created. And he didn't have to do that. And so if Jesus is not above living off the means of people, the local church should not feel uh, any type of way about preaching on finances and telling you, listen, we're able to do ministry and facilitate ministry because of your giving. In our text today, Jesus is going to single out a widow, a poor widow, not just a widow, a poor widow, and he's going to single her out and show us, show, show us that she's a sufficient example of what gospel generosity looks like. We can look at her and see how God wants us to model our giving. And there's many points that we can pull out of the text. And the first point I want to pull out of the text is found in the first few words, and that is that Jesus observes our giving. Look back at the text with me, verse 1. It says, look at the first few words. Jesus looked up and saw. So in other words, Jesus saw what they were giving during this week, which is Passover week. And if you're following along, Luke, this is Passover week. And during Passover week, there would have been 13 brass boxes out. They were what we would call collection plates, but there were 13 brass boxes. They were thinner or smaller at the top, and they got wider or fatter at the bottom. And People would come, and it was a high-traffic area. Travelers would come. People would come from all over, and they would give into the box in order to keep the temple open. And Jesus is doing something so dope. Jesus is sitting in the cut watching people give. Have you ever been in a crowded mall and just sat and watched people walk? You ever been at a terminal waiting for your flight and just sat and you were just watching? You weren't being, you know, you weren't in their business. You weren't pulling out your phone. You know, you just were kind of watching them go and how they operated with their families. And you were just observing them. Well, Jesus is doing that in the text. But the difference with Jesus' observation and ours is we only see external action. Jesus sees external action. If, you, if you're tracking along in the text, he also sees motive. So he doesn't just see your actions. That's all we see. No, Jesus sees our motive. Jesus also sees our action. And when he sees the action of this rich giver and the poor giver, he applauds one of them, which is very, very interesting. Let me bring out one point before I move on from this part of the text. Not only did Jesus observe the giving in ancient times, don't miss this. Jesus still observes our giving today. What you give, Jesus is watching. And he's not just watching what you put into the plate. He's not watching you when you're clicking through the link and trying to give. He's not watching when you text to give. He's not watching when you're on the app to give. He's, on, he's not only watching the action, but he's, he knows your motive. Like he knows what you spend on, on the Chelsea boots and the Warby Parker glasses. He knows what you spend on the iPhone X. He knows all of it. Not only that, he knows what you make. And he watches and he sees, is this person going to give to the kingdom or are they going to put everything on their back? Are they going to put everything for themselves? And, you know, you need to give to something that outlasts you. You know, you're not going to be here forever. But the kingdom, if Jesus don't come back, Right now, he is going, the kingdom will just continue. But while the kingdom is continuing, why are we putting everything on our back? Why are we not investing into something that outlasts us? Jesus knows what you give. Can you imagine if the collection plate went around 
And I walked behind the collection plate and I was just watching everybody putting it. Can you imagine if you were, you know, texting to put your money in and I'm watching going, mm. Can you imagine that? First of all, I would, I would be offended if somebody did that to me. But here's the thing. Note the text. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. And that is exactly what Jesus still does. He watches our heart. Why? Because don't get it twisted. Again, this is not about money. It's about your heart. That's why Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. What you give has your heart. And so the Bible is showing us Jesus knows. He knows our motive. Let me put Bible there. Psalms chapter 139, verse 1 through 4. Somebody can get Gabe to just turn that, that heat down just a little bit. It could be the turtleneck. I'm just saying. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 4 says this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Watch this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Do not get it twisted. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Your actions aren't hidden from the Lord and neither are your intentions. That's why the Bible doesn't just say God loves a giver. He says he loves a cheerful giver because he wants to see your motives, and he wants to see your, uh, your, your, your thought behind why you're giving. I used to work for Verizon Wireless and uh, worked in the, in, in the finance department. It's called the BFO, which was the Business Financial Operations Center. We dealt with the contracts. Uh, and, and here's what I know about Verizon Wireless. A Fortune 500 company, all they care about is the bottom line. Like, I don't want you to think they sitting sad because you, gave, you, know, you paid your bill with, with a bad attitude. They don't care. What they can, in fact, they will cut you off if you don't pay your bill. And let me tell you something about them cutting you off. You know, if they cut you off, you got to pay that $15 reconnect fee per line. <laughs> like if you got five phones, that's 15 per line you got to pay. They care nothing about your intentions or your motives, or if you have an attitude, if you're happy. They don't care if you still got to pay mortgage or pay rent. All they care about is if they're going to get their money. Listen, not so with God. He does not just care about the quantity you give. He cares about the quality of your motives when you give. And that's what he's showing us in the text. He's looking at these givers, watching the rich, and he's watching the poor, and he's weighing out their motives. What's the first thing that Jesus observes when he's looking? So we, we understand in, in, in verse number one, he is watching, he is observing, he is looking. But what does he observe? Look at the first verse. Jesus looked up and saw. What did he see? The rich putting their gifts into the offering box. The initial observation of Jesus was watching the rich give. And more than likely, you know, these rich givers, you know, they didn't have paper money back then. They didn't have checks back then. So it wasn't like, you know, a rich giver or a Pharisee was sitting at the collection plate writing out, uh, you know, a check from Bank of America. That's not how it worked. They had coins. So in other words, depending on how much they were giving, they might have needed help bringing the bags of money. Can you imagine a notable person that everybody knew he was rich and he would bring his bags of money and he had help bringing all these bags of money? And remember, the collection plates were brass, so you can hear the coins when they hit. Can you imagine that they're pouring in their money and you hear it and you would, you know, the crowd is ooing and aahing. Jesus is sitting there going, not impressed. But, but I, I will say he's not rebuking the rich giver either because a lot of times we think that when he's applauding the poor 
widow, we think that that automatically means he's, he's disapproving of the rich giver. Sure, some of them had good motive. The Lord probably blessed some of them to be rich, and in their, rich, their, in their, in their, uh, their abundance, they decided to give to the kingdom. And so, sure, they had good motives. But there were some that did not have good, emo- good motives. Of course, there were some that, that just gave because they wanted to floss. In fact, Jesus preaches against this type of giving over and over again in the scriptures. Let me put Bible there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other, before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, listen to this, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, that they may be praised by others. Can, did you catch that? Like people were lit- literally, rich people were giving to the needy and to the poor. And before they would do it, they would blow trumpets saying, look at me, watch me give. Let me keep reading the text. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Listen to this. So that your giving may be in secret. That is generous. That is that is gospel generosity. When you're giving to an audience of one, if you're given to be seen by others, God is like got your reward already. You want the praise of other people? You got your reward. But when you're giving to the audience of one See, that is what the, the gospel is showing us this morning. So Jesus is like, listen, don't, don't be a hypocrite when you give. Don't come flossing when you give. No, give humbly. And that is gospel generosity. So the first thing he observes in the text is the rich. He observes them giving and he's watching them. Not rebuking, just watching. But he sees something, even through the hypocrisy of some of them, he sees something that makes his heart jump. What does he see? Look at verse number let me read verse 1 into 2. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Here's verse 2. The second thing he sees. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. When I went to Israel, uh, I was walking the streets of Israel in, in Jerusalem, and there was a, a business owner. He had a small little, like, little shop or whatever, and he was selling spices and herbs. And I was telling him I was from the States, and I was asking him some questions about being a local here in Jerusalem. And he took me to the back and said, man, I got something for you. I have a gift for you. And he gave me two small copper coins. And he said, man, Luke 21 talks about these. Now, they, they were replicas. They weren't the real thing. But they were good replicas to show me what the coins looked like. Like, listen to me when I say this. If you've never seen these two small copper coins, they are thin. They are small. They are minute. In fact, they called them leptis to describe the thinness of the coin. Here's what's more interesting about that coin. It's literally one coin is one eighth of a penny. So consider that this, like I want you to understand how poor this widow is. This widow has less than a penny to her life's savings. Doesn't Jesus say she put in all that she had? That means all, everything she has was two small copper coins, which equals less than a penny, but yet she gave all of it to the Lord. Now, we see pennies, and we see pennies on the ground. We walk right over them. We don't pick them up. I, I guarantee you everybody in this room got that one junk drawer in your house, and that one junk drawer that got everything in it, if you clean it out, it's full of pennies at the bottom. And so Jesus is looking at this lady and his observation is that she put in more than even the rich. And this rocks me. This rocks me that Jesus observed her giving, saw that she gave these two small copper coins and rejoiced over it. Now, if I'm her pastor, 
I'm going to tell her, she's full. You're a little unwise to give everything, right? Like, I'm going to just tell you, that's why Jesus is a better pastor than I could ever be. I would say, listen, why don't you keep your two small copper coins, build up some more wealth so that you can give something like of substance to the, to the kingdom. I, or I would say, don't give both, give one. But here's the crazy thing. She gives both and Jesus does not rebuke her. She gives both and Jesus does not say you are unwise. He does not say you are foolish. He gives, she gives both and he praises her, not the rich givers that bought bags and bags and bags of money. Here, here's one of the questions I often get as a pastor. I, there's two questions I get when it comes to resources. I mean, they're like, it's like clockwork. I get these questions over and over again. The first one is, Pastor, should I tithe off the gross or the net? You know, really, we're trying to figure out how much do I really got to give. Or the second question is, you know, Pastor, you talk about how we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. You know, Jesus has fulfilled the law, so therefore, 10% is an Old Testament law, so do I really got to give 10%? But if we want to play the percentage game, if we really want to play that game, this widow didn't give 10%, she gave 100 so if you really want to play the game, let's stick in Luke 21 and talk about how the percentage she gave. Here's the crazy thing. She could have given one coin and percentage-wise been more generous than all of us in this room. Unless you're giving 50% of your, your, your income. And if you are, holler at me. I just want to take you out to lunch and say thank you. <laughs> this woman didn't give 50% and she would have, that would have been generous. She gave everything she had. She gave 100%. And here's the crazy thing. I'm sure she didn't make a dent in that week's Passover offering. I'm sure they wasn't like, oh, my God, thank you that this widow gave these two small copper coins because the lights in the temple would have been cut off. They wasn't thinking that. If anything, these two small copper coins were a nuisance to count. They were like it was annoying to even count these. Earlier this week, I had I had to do a you know, I'm in school. So I had to do this all day intensive course every day, Monday through Friday. From 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. with, I mean, it was intensive, like all day, every day, just working through, uh, working through uh, many texts. And one of the things that happened was the professors were very nice. They were gracious. They were like, man, we'll give you a 10, 15 minute break, a couple of breaks throughout the day. Well, one morning I forgot to stop at the, at the local Starbucks and get a coffee. And so I ran right up and we're working, we're working. I'm starting to feel a little woozy, like I just need a little bit of coffee. And he says, man, you got a 10 minute break. And so what do I do? I don't put my coat on. It was one of those nice days. It was like two, you know, like, no, it was freezing. It wasn't like Tuesday. It's nice now. But it was, you know, it was a freezing cold day. I, I go downstairs. We're on the 16th floor. I take the elevator downstairs. I run across the street on 46 and 6, and I get me a Starbucks. And, you know, it's the reserved coffee. I don't know if you know. So Starbucks has two different. I'm just giving you coffee one-on-one here. Starbucks has two different types. So they have the regular coffee, they have the regular stores, and then they have a reserved uh, uh, Starbucks, which gives like special coffee. So I get there and I'm like, oh, this is a nice, you know, they got the little machines hooked up. So I say, man, I don't want a small, give me a large. And so I get to the counter to pay this lady and I realized that I ran out so fast that I left my wallet upstairs in my coat. Now I only had 10 minutes, I could not get back to the 16th floor and back down. And so I'm like, man, what am I going to do? Well, thank God in his provision, I felt my pockets, and I had a sweater on that had pockets, and I had, I had change in my pockets, no cash. I had a bunch of pennies and nickels and dimes in my pocket. And I literally, you know you, you know you don't have no money when you expose the pocket. I took it out. 
taking the lint out. I'm like this. And I finally get all the change out on, on the counter. And I kid you not, the barista, the lady that was taking the money, literally said to me, you expect me to count them pennies? I said, you want me to talk to your manager? She said, one, two. That's right, count them pennies. It ain't Monopoly money. This is real money. Count them pennies. Here's what happened. She was annoyed that she had to count pennies. Can you imagine the money counters in Jerusalem at the time that they looking at these small copper coins like, who would put these in here? Like they probably had an attitude, but Jesus does not have an attitude. He sees it and says something so profound. He says, she put in more than all of them. Like look at verse number three. I mean, when I read this, I got stuck here because I was like, Jesus, I know it's blasphemy. I know you're not a liar, so I'm not going to call you a liar. But I'm struggling to understand how she gave more than all of them when the rich would have probably been coming with bags and bags and she pulled out two small copper coins. How do I reconcile this in my mind that she gave more than everybody? Look at verse 3. It says, this is Jesus' words. It's in red. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in than all of them. The only way you can understand that passage is not by actual financial. She didn't give financially more. She gave more because it cost her more. It probably didn't cost the rich, even though they were bringing bags and bags of money. When they got home, they probably had more money than they gave. And so it cost them less. But Jesus is saying, see, this is gospel generosity. Gospel generosity is giving until it costs you something. Epiphany Church does not need larger givers. We need more sacrificial givers. We need givers that will say, I'm going to give until a way, until it gets at, until it hits me, until I feel it. And if you don't feel it, if everybody's giving and everybody's comfortable, the question I have is, are we giving until it costs us something? Are we giving like this widow? Here's what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis talks about this verse. He says, he talks about how if a non-believer is in the same tax bracket as me, and we both are living on the same comfortable scale, I must ask myself, am I giving until it costs me something? If you and your coworker are both living comfortably on the same scale and they don't know Jesus and you do, you should be asking yourself, am I giving until it costs me something? Let me not just quote Lewis. Let me get in the Bible. There's a, there's a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24, God tells David that he needs him to perform a sacrifice on the threshing floor of Arana. He says, perform a sacrifice. Now, David goes and he wants to do the sacrifice on this piece of land and he has no flocks. And he's like, I'm going to purchase some flocks when I get there. So he gets to this place and the, the owner of the land, he's like, man, this is the king. I'm going to give the king the land. But not only that, I'm going to go a step further. Read it when you get home. I'm going to give him his sacrifice. I'm going to give him the animals. But David does something so important. In the midst of being offered generosity in order to sacrifice animals that he didn't pay for, this is what he says in verse 24, 2 Samuel 24, 24. Here's what he said. God, uh, here's what he said. No, I'm not going to purchase it. I mean, I'm not going to just take it. He said, but I will buy it from you for a price. Listen to this. I will not offer any offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. David understood if I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord, it got to hit me. I got to feel it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel. 
Because in the gospel, God gives until it hit him. Like, like you know, John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he looked around and said, I'm going to pick an angel. You go and die for their sin. No, no, no. God gave heaven's best, his son, wait, his only son, to die for you. God emptied out the bank account in order to give to you. And the crazy thing is, when we think about that, those that have trusted in Jesus, we think about the giving that God has given to us, but yet we hold our own money. We're stingy when it comes to giving back to him. This is gospel giving. Gospel giving isn't driven by fear. It's just, it's just not. You know, I don't know if you've been to those churches that's like, listen, if you don't give, you're going to have a flat tire because you're cursed with a curse. Doesn't Galatians challenge us on that? Where it says, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law? And then it says, cursed is he that hung on a tree. Jesus Christ took your curse. A believer cannot be cursed. We've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're going to say I'm cursed because I didn't give? No, we're not cursed. Our motivation to give is not fear of being cursed. Your motivation to give is because God has given to you. The motivation to give is always the gospel. Motivation to give is not a selfish fearful ambition. No, it is, it is given to the Lord because he's given to us. Let's finish this here. Verse four. It's gospel given for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in, please circle this word, all she had to live on. She gave everything. And again, this is helping us to look more like Jesus because Jesus gave everything. Jesus didn't come and die half for half of your sins. He died for them all. He emptied himself. In fact, that's what Philippians chapter 2 verse number 7 says. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Wait a second. Jesus Christ, the one that created everything, that created the chair you're sitting on, the clothes you have on your back, the coffee you sipped on, the breakfast you ate this morning, the sustainer, the one that upholds the universe. That's what Colossians tells me. Jesus Christ, that one became a servant. We should have been serving him, but he emptied himself. He gave everything he had in order to save you. And he gave it all. And here's the crazy thing. In the midst of him giving it all, we're still so selfish and stingy with our resources. We give, but this is how we give. Y'all know, like, let's just be family in here. This is how we give. I got to pay. I gotta, well, of course, my taxes got to come out. Then I got I to gotta pay that bill. I got to pay that. I got to get them boots. And so I'm going to get them boots. You know, we, we do this whole thing, and then we say, whatever I got left, that's what I'm giving to the Lord. Like, can you imagine if God said, I'm going to give you what I got left? He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to give you the best I got. That is Jesus Christ, and that is the motivation for gospel generosity. Now, this is also a corporate call. It's not just an individualistic call to you to give. Yes, it is, but it's also a call to the church to be generous, which is why we give, which is why we do Thanksgiving outreach and we give to the community because God gave to us. I don't know if you know, man, every dime that comes into this church, 11% of your resources go back out to help other churches, 11%. And that's been happening since we had 12 people on a vision night trying to figure out what it looks like to plant a church here. We've been giving 11% to, to help places like Nigeria, the places that the government will call S-hole uh, uh, countries. We, your giving hits those places. Your giving goes beyond Brooklyn. 
Your giving goes beyond Bed-Stuy. Your giving goes beyond just Fulton Street. If you think your giving is just to keep on these lights, you're missing it. Your giving goes to reach other, not just parts of the country, but other countries that need the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So your giving is like what you give matters. Every dime you give. And here's what I love about the text. It's not telling us a percentage. It's not telling us like it's not giving us a specific number. It doesn't matter what you make in here. Because that's the thing about like the church can thrive whether you give or not. You do realize that, right? Like this is the Lord's church. It ain't going down if you give or not. So if you're like, man, why he preaching on money? I ain't giving. Like, please keep your money. Just continue to come. I pray that the Lord, you know, continues to work on your heart. This thing is not about me trying to get your money. This thing is about God saying, where does your heart lie? What is your Lord? What is your God? Let's pray. Father, this, this text is challenging for us. It, it really is. I think, I think all of us have cut corners when it comes to giving to you. I think all of us have made excuses. And they're, they're good excuses. But I, I, like, I need somewhere to live. I got to pay that. How am I going to have train and bus fare? Like, I got to have that. These are good things, but help us to put in perspective the things that are priority. Lord, I thank you for the generosity that is in this place. There are some that are giving sacrificially. They're giving of their resources. And I thank you, Lord. And I pray that we would be a church that honors and stewards the resources of this church to the glory and honor of Christ. But I also want to challenge another group of us in this room that are just surface giving. Giving in a way that doesn't cost us anything. You've said in this text that this widow who gave two small copper coins gave more than all of them. Lord, how can that be? Because she was generous to where it was sacrificial. So Lord, I pray for sacrificial givers in this place. Pray that we would give of our means. You've blessed some people in this room with great jobs. Some people work in, 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 in areas that they dreamed about, that they went to school for. They're grinding. And I thank you, Lord, for, for putting them in position, not only to make influence and impact in the circles and spheres of their job, but also to bring those resources back to the church. Lord, I pray for the day that we can say it's too much money. Too much is coming in. We got to give it all away. Lord, get us there, Lord. And don't do it so that we can be like the Pharisees that sounded trumpets. Do it so that we can genuinely serve this community. So that we can genuinely make impact. So that we can genuinely see the gospel flourish in this part of the world. For your glory, Lord. Our resources are not ours anyway. You own them all. But you Allow us to steward them. Forgive us, Lord, because some of us have not stewarded them well. And I pray that you would challenge us. May the gospel pierce our hearts in such a way that we want to look more like Jesus. How is Jesus sacrificial? How? Because he died for us. And we thank you for that. And let that motivate us in this room to give to your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we give glory and honor. Amen.